0: Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Kuiper Collective. Uh, I'm excited because this week's episode uh, is from our Faculty and Alumni Scholar Day. This is an event we hold every uh, fall at Kuiper College, and uh, what you're going to hear over the course of the next couple episodes is uh, the content from that day. Uh, and so this episode is going to be uh, a presentation that we heard from Brian Telzero, who is professor of youth ministry here at Kuiper, and um, him summarizing his work on relational ministry uh, that he's been doing for his uh, D-Min dissertation. Uh, And so the first half of the podcast is him uh, presenting that and talking about his findings and and what he's been digging into the last while. Uh, And then the second half, uh, we'll be hearing from uh, a group of panelists. Uh, We had Uh, Three different panelists who joined us for that time, and so you will hear them speak to this. Uh, And these are folks who are uh, practitioners in the field of youth ministry who uh, really can engage and and speak to what uh, Brian is talking about in his presentation. And so uh, we're excited to be able to make this uh, available and accessible, uh, especially if you were not able to be uh, on campus to join us for that day. Uh, And so uh, enjoy this episode. We hope it provides some rich learning and insight. Thanks. Welcome and good morning. If you are hanging around in the back, I would invite you uh, to find your seat, uh, find a nice spot, nice and close. Uh, I wanna welcome you to Faculty and Alumni Scholar Day. Uh, This is an exciting day. It's an opportunity for us as a community to come together uh, around kingdom-focused scholarship. Uh, And so I want to give uh, just a couple of announcements uh, and then uh, we'll launch right into our first presentation. Uh, So just a word about the schedule. Uh, Brian Telsrow is going to be presenting for us uh, and then there's going to be a panel following that. Uh, After that panel we'll have about a 15 minute break and then we'll reconvene for Betsy Degrees and her presentation uh, and a panel following that. Uh, We'll again take another short break, and then we will launch into Praise Chapel, as is our custom on uh, Friday mornings. So that's where we're going. Uh, Just a word about video logistics as well. Uh, This is being uh, videotaped, and uh, so if you see uh, my good friend Dan sometimes moving around with the camera, that's all right. It's 2019. We're expected to be recorded all the time, so just act like you usually do. Uh, Act like you usually do. Uh, it, is, uh, it is what it is, but we really want to capture the ethos of this day uh, and what that's about, so we're thankful to have him with us. Uh, one other note you'll see behind me, uh, slido.com. I would invite you uh, to find your seat, uh, find a nice spot, nice and close. Uh, I want to welcome you to Faculty and Alumni Scholar Day. Uh, this is an exciting day. It's an opportunity for us as a community to come together together uh, around Kingdom-focused scholarship. Uh, and so I wanna give uh, just a couple of announcements uh, and then uh, we'll launch right into our first presentation. Uh, so just a word about the schedule. Uh, Brian Telzerow is gonna be presenting for us uh, and then there's going to be a panel following that. Uh, after that panel, we'll have about a 15-minute break and then we'll reconvene for Betsy Degrees and her presentation uh, and a panel following that. Uh, We'll again take another short break, and then we will launch into Praise Chapel, as is our custom on uh, Friday mornings. So that's where we're going. Uh, Just a word about video logistics as well. Uh, This is being uh, videotaped, and uh, so if you see uh, my good friend Dan sometimes moving around with the camera, that's all right. It's 2019. We're expected to be recorded all the time, so just act like you usually do. Uh, Act like you usually do. Uh, it, is, uh, it is what it is, but we really wanna capture the ethos of this day uh, and what that's about, so we're thankful to have him with us. Uh, one other note, you'll see behind me, uh, slido.com. Uh, during the, the panel discussion, uh, we wanna have time to take questions from the audience, but rather than passing around a microphone, uh, this is how we do it. And so if you, uh, if, if you wanna go ahead and go there, it's okay. I'll assume you're not texting your friends. Uh, <laughs> You can go there and under, if you search under hashtag scholar day, uh, you can uh, submit a question there. And so during either of the presentations or even during the course of the panel, uh, if a question comes up in your mind and you want to submit it, uh, that's an easy way to do so. Uh, The other nice thing about this is it's anonymous. Uh, Mike will be moderating the questions and so during the panel we'll see them up there. If somebody else submits a question that you like, uh, you can like that and that bumps it further up the list. Uh, So this is a good way to kind of crowdsource some good questions uh, for our panels. Let me open us with prayer. Lord, we come before you today and we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are the giver of all good gifts. We thank you for the opportunity to learn and grow together as a community. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of scholars who dig deep into their areas of specialty and seek to further your kingdom uh, through their work. Lord, we ask this morning uh, for your blessing uh, upon Brian, upon Betsy, uh, upon the panelists. Lord, we pray that you would lead and guide in this day so that that our uh, learning is grown, but also our understanding of who you are and and what it means to serve you, what it means to minister on behalf of your kingdom also is expanded. Lord, Uh, We ask uh, that your spirit would guide us, that you would bring fresh insights and give us receptive hearts uh, to hear uh, what you're telling us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you welcome Brian Telzerow. Thanks
1: for coming today. I am really excited about being here today. Uh, Many of you know that I was off last semester and uh, and I was writing and working on this dissertation. But this is the culmination of about three and a half years of uh, writing, studying, uh, but it's also been the culmination, really, of my life's work, my life's practice. Uh, and so I'm excited about sharing that with you uh, today. And uh, so I'm going to start with sharing a little bit of my story uh, with you. Uh, there you go. Yes. That is me, 1979, 40 years ago, and that jacket does still exist. <laughs> right uh, unfortunately, it doesn't fit still, but uh, nevertheless. Uh, but my story kind of extends back uh, to when I was in high school. I, I, my family, we went to a church. Uh, and we went every Sunday, but that's all I remember about attending church. It had no uh, correlation to how I lived my life. Uh, and so while I was in high school, there was this guy named Mike started showing up to our school. Uh, he'd sit down and lunch with us. We would uh, get to know him. Maybe he'd come to our, some of our games and events. And eventually he asked us about going to a camp uh, in Colorado. And I went to a camp. I'd never been uh, west of the Mississippi. So the idea of going to, uh, to the mountains was very inviting. Uh, but as I went, I went with Mike and uh, about 10 others of my high school classmates, and uh, I heard the gospel, I believe for the first time, that Jesus wanted to be in a relationship with me, in my sinfulness, and all that. And I thought, why haven't I heard this before? And yes, that's what I want to do. And Mike was sitting right next to me when I prayed that prayer to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I went home with Mike, and Mike went home with me, and we started a Bible study, and I started to learn all about Christ. In fact, he gave me My first New Testament that I started reading every day when I came home from camp. What what an incredible impact that had on on the direction of my life. Uh, That was uh, the summer of my junior and senior year. And as I moved into into, uh, college, uh, I didn't want this to end. I wanted to continue. So Mike was a a leader uh, of a young life club in Forest Hills and Forest Hills Central. And I became a leader at Forest Hills Central for five years of my college experience. I was in college for four years. Ago, so. uh, but nevertheless, uh, I was a volunteer. I then came on Him Life staff and served six years uh, with Young Life staff. Uh, following that, I got married, uh, and uh, we actually moved. Two years of that uh, staff experience it was in Chicago. But when we started to have kids, we wanted to come back around our family, so we came back to West Michigan. And I served the Grand Rapids uh, at Fifth Reformed Church for 13 years as a youth pastor Loved every bit of what I was doing. Uh, And I felt like that was going to be a life journey until someone said to me, the Kuyper College was starting a youth ministry program, and we want you to teach it. We think you would be a good person to do so. Uh, And initially, Julie Vanderbeen was the first person to come into that role. Uh, But then I uh, uh, served following her. And I've been here now for 16 years. It started my 17th year. Uh, And you can know, because of what Mike did in my life and the training I received with Young Life, uh, and as well as my seminary training through uh, uh, receiving my M.D. at Western Theological Seminary, um, I believe that, that the relational approach to ministry was, in a, without a doubt, the most important piece of what we do in ministry. Is gaining and involving ourselves in the lives of those that we're serving. And so you can know that when I came here to Kuiper, I was going to teach a youth ministry course called Relational Ministry. Uh, and so I, it began for me. There we go, with a passage uh, from 1 Thessalonians 2.8, uh, where uh, Paul writes to the Church of Thessalonica, where he says, For we love you so much that we are delighted to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. That has become my life's mission statement, and has also become the way that I have taught youth ministry here at Kuyper College, and I believe it's the way we ought to live ministry. sharing the gospel, but doing it in the context of doing life with one another. And so I taught that in the uh, ministry class of ML336, Relational Ministry. And so as I started my doctoral study, uh, what I was encouraged to do was consider how were the students who took my Relational Ministries course implementing the, the details of what that course was about, and what kind of successes were they having, what kind of challenges were they facing, and why. So that's what I'm going to unpack with you today, uh, is to share a little bit about that. I've used the framework from Richard uh, Osmer's um, Practical Theology Framework that talks about these four questions. What's going on? Why is it going on? What should be going on? And what are we going to do about it? Well, my advisor recommended that in the process of doing what I was doing, he recommended that I flip the middle two in terms of writing my dissertation and even sharing some of the things I'm going to share with you. I'm going to do that as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on. Then I'm going to talk about what should be going on. Uh, and that all relates to the class. What have I taught my students over the last 15 years? Uh, what should they be implementing in their, their classwork? And then uh, answering the question, why should it be going on? We're going to be, that's going to be the segment on my research. And talking to the graduates uh, who have implemented those practices and what kind of experiences they have, and then hopefully come out with some clear outcomes. And I'm going to do that all in 20 minutes. Uh, so, here we go. Um, first of all, what's going on? The problem having to do with adolescents. Uh, all the sociological studies have recognized that adolescents are living in isolation. Uh, and much of the research has identified that uh, there's, there's created this idea of systematic abandonment. That adolescents, even though there's plenty of adults around, much of the adult life experiences we've heard about parents being helicopter parents, lawnmower parents, and I heard a new one yesterday, We need your parents. Um, Just making it really low and really easy for their kids to go through whatever they need to go through. Uh, And I would contend that that attitude towards parenting is more about shelter and protection than it is about growth and development. Uh, And there's an overall sense of uh, fear of failure. And that's clearly in this whole uh, admissions uh, scandal that's going on with some of our celebrities and paying thousands of dollars to kind of pave their way for their kids uh, to whatever that might look like. And that's all about fear. Uh, and that's not the kind of things that God wants us to learn, because oftentimes our best lessons are in our failures. Uh, and so again, the, the idea of what's going on, and I'll pack this out a little, bit, a little bit more here in just a minute, but oftentimes adolescents are feeling alone. Nobody, no adults are really understanding who they are. Did they really know what I'm experiencing? Did they really relate to the stuff that I'm struggling with? And now before I get into that, I want to identify a few terms uh, so anytime I talk about students, I'm really referring to my students who took my class. When we talk about adolescence and uh, youth and emerging adults, that's that whole span of adolescence now that has grown on both ends of the spectrum, going from as young as maybe 10, 12 years away to upwards as much as 30 years old. Uh, that sociologists are recognizing that's a 20-year span uh, in terms of that experience, much different than it has been in decades past. Uh, and then uh, lastly, talking about ministry leaders, I'm really talking about any volunteers or staff that work within the context of a ministry setting, whether that be a church or parachurch organization. Okay, so we're clear on what those uh, terms are as we move forward. So, what is going on when it comes to adolescence? Uh, that's a picture of Chap Clark. who wrote a book uh, uh, called Hurt, as well as Adopted Youth Ministry, but he's the one that coined this phrase of systematic abandonment. Uh, that the, the system that our world exists on has really created this isolation of our adolescents. Uh, even though there are adults around, folks are not investing in the way that we probably should be. Uh, and so I've kind of looked at uh, systematic abandonment and how it's affected adolescents socially, uh, inter- internally, culturally, spiritually, and technologically uh, through the course of my study. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I figure you guys kind of know and have experienced that piece. Uh, But as they experience this uh, idea of what's going on, uh, we want to look at now what should be happening and how are we going about training the ministers who are going to be leading and guiding and directing adolescents through the stuff that they're experiencing. And so here's kind of what my class is about. I start in the scriptures. and start with the Great Commission. The, The mandate that we're called to make disciples. Now, to recognize that 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 is not uh, something we have to reinvent uh, in terms of our mission and purpose. We're called to make disciples. Jesus made that very clear. Uh, That is our role. He made his purpose really clear, to seek and save the lost. Uh, And so as uh, as he fulfills that, our role is to continue to make disciples. But we do that by going. We have to enter into others' world. It's not about them coming to our events and things, but more about us going and entering into their world. And to do that intentionally, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Okay? It starts with that going. Uh, then we we move into this uh, journey of walking through the Gospel of Mark uh, and unpacking how Jesus, as he entered entered into relationship with folks, how he modeled the sense of, of along the way, how he cared for folks as he was living and doing life with folks. And we use this uh, methodology created by William Vaughn. I uh, called Analogical Imagination, being able to take what Jesus did and make those into examples and models, uh, not make them, but to see them as models and examples of how we to do life. Not as a tool, per se, or not as a, um, um, again, the wheel's going around, um, as a technique, but rather as a lifestyle, as the way that we do life with one another. Uh, and to do it along the way, to, 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 to model that people know, uh, want to know that you care before they care what you know. Uh, that's a quote actually from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and to recognize that even leaders understood that we need to engage in relationship uh, before we kind of dispel all this information that we want to share. So we unpack the gospel. Then I look at a couple of texts. Uh, one of those texts uh, are from Richard Dunn called Shaping the Spiritual Life of Students. Uh, and Dunn kind of tapped into this uh, phrase that I kind of latched onto this concept of pacing, of walking with. And he says this about pacing pacing is the language of love, not only for effective parenting, but for effective student ministry. Pacing requires me to listen to the heart of the adolescent, seeing beyond words and behaviors. Pacing, therefore, demands time the time it takes to go beyond the surface in a conversation or to enter the social turf of a student. A band concert, a dorm room, wherever that might be. Pacing is costly. The payoff, however, far exceeds the cost. Choosing to listen to or to engage personally in an world communicates who you are matters to me. I care about what you think, how you are feeling, and why you make the choices you do. Pacing builds trust, and trust produces relationships. Pacing. It's walking with folks through the life experiences that they're going through. And he compares that to the idea of what many adults in our world have have done so, and I I have done this at times as well, but compares that to telling. Because our tendency sometimes is just to tell our kids what to do. Or to tell those within our ministry circles what they're supposed to do. Because it's easier to do so. Pacing takes work. It takes effort to earn that right to do the telling. But we, we live in a society that just simply wants to tell folks what to do. When in reality, the pacing that leads to leading for folks and walking through life is really the context of the adolescent life. Their spiritual growth comes in the context of their life as they live it. And they're looking for folks who will walk with them and learn with them in that process. In addition to Dunn, uh, we look at uh, Andrew Root's text on uh, Relationships Unfiltered. And he coins or looks at this idea of pacing and calls it place sharing. The idea that we're going to walk and sit with folks in the life situation that they're. And he contends that influence, growth, and, sp- and, and spiritual care are in the context or really the byproduct of walking with folks, of place sharing or pacing. It is not the, the end goal or the, the desired goal to do so. The desired goal is to walk with folks and experience life with them. And out of that, the byproduct, comes that influence in spiritual care and growth. Uh, the who versus how is kind of this idea of the how kind of comes to become the technique. If we're only doing it just to get people to come to our events, uh, you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's more about living life with each other. It's more about being in it for the long haul, having a long view of success, if you will. Uh, and so that's not easy to do. Okay? Then I kind of unpack a little bit of my own experience within Young Life. And Young Life coined this phrase called contact work. It's also something that our Youth for Christ uh, uh, organization does as well. We enter into the world of adolescents by contacting them in their environment. Uh, and again, there's a little bit of definition uh, for which that, where that comes from. Uh, but it's this idea that we are walking along somebody uh, we're with them in their experiences. Sometimes it's just being seen, that we become a familiar face to folks. Other times it, it evolves into doing one-on-one kind of activities with one another. Uh, and the principles of that contact work have to do with earning the right to be heard, Building a bridge of friendship, identifying with people, penetrating a culture, and demonstrating Christ's love. Now, I've kind of recategorized that contact work as pacing presence. Um, again, my own term, uh, kind of coming from my studies, the really walking with folks in the context of doing life with each other. Uh, so but that pacing presence has certain levels associated with it. I've already identified sometimes it's just being seen with folks. Uh, you're just out there. You're part of the, the fabric of their lives. Or you're, then you're eventually gaining some conversation. You're talking about lifestyle. And once you've earned that right to engage that conversation, you start doing things with and building history with one another. And the more history we have with one another, the stronger and the deeper the relationship that exists. Now, we also recognize that there are hindrances sometimes to doing that work because it is costly. It does take time. Uh, you have to have enough time to do that. Uh, and it, um, there's some fear around it. You ever walked into a middle school lunchroom? <laughs> yeah, you did probably 10 years ago. 15 ago, how well, long ago it was. But it's a different environment. Uh, and some would call it hostile, uh, even. So there can be some fear walking into that. But the more that you're a part of it, the more you become part of the fabric of their lives. And that fear goes away. But you got to do it in order to overcome that. Um, fatigue, it's tiring. Uh, You know, at the end of a long week, the last thing I want to do is go to a football game on a Friday night. But you know what? Every time I met, God did something powerful with that visit of being able to see a kid do something that I wouldn't have known had I not showed up. We talked about also not knowing what to do or why to do or some of the things that hinder us uh, from doing those kind of things. So that kind of encapsulates a little bit, in a nutshell, what we talked about in that relational ministries class. So if you haven't taken it yet, I'm excited about having it uh, when you get there. Uh, so now, looking at the why. Why is this going on? Looking at the research. What did I do with the students who had graduated from Piper College? Uh, I took a slice of students uh, that had been out at least 6 years to 10 years. Uh, and that group ended up being about 78 students and that, uh, that I sent out a request for a survey. For them to fill that out. 30 students filled out the survey. And from the survey, I then gathered some key themes and information out of that. And I used Robert Brinkerhoff's method that he created called the Success Case Method. Uh, And it's really unpacking those stories and drawing from it some of the key elements, uh, themes that came from those conversations. So I interviewed, uh, two. uh, I gave the survey, had 10 questions to it. There were two that really stood out. And these were the two questions. How much time do you spend directly with student leaders and families each week in their environments? I wanted to know in a full-time role how much time do you hang out with kids in their world? And then, secondly, uh, the one that stood out was what was the most challenging thing you faced in maintaining presence in the lives of the students, uh, of the adolescents, and their leaders and their families? And here's what I found out: 70% spend five hours or less with students in a full-time job. That's less than 10%. While well, I figured most of the youth ministry jobs, we work 50 hours or more more than likely, so it's around 10%. Only five hours. What kind of depth, what kind of relationship can you gain in only spending five hours a week in their environment? The good side of this, we got 30% spend five hours or more. And for the majority, it was more like 10 to 15 to as much as 25 hours a week spending time in their world. What do you think the relational difference was between those two groups? Significant. You better know. Right, and so that equated to much as half of the time they spent in doing relationships. What I love about this is this stuff I've always known. But now I've got that that proves it.
2: There
1: we go. We recognize that 30% has far more strength of their, those relationships than the other 70%. So the second question is what is the most challenging thing that you face in maintaining a presence in the lives of uh, students? And 46% said there's too many other responsibilities. Almost half of them says I have too many other things that keep me away from spending time in the adolescent world. Uh, and the other said there's just not enough time to schedule you could almost equate those two as being the same. Uh, and others uh, recognized just how tired they were from doing all the other things they were doing. That's 70% of their time that's, that's preventing them from being able to spend time in the adolescent world. So, my interviews. My interviews, then I interviewed 12 of those graduates. Nine of them kind of fit in the success case uh, uh, window. Three of them fit in, the, in just not being able to measure up to that. I'm right, saying, what struggles were they facing? So in those nine interviews I had for, these were the five things that stood out that made a difference in building those significant relationships. Time, showing up, just being in their presence. I'm going to give you some of their uh, quotes uh, with each one of these categories. Uh, Longevity, the longer you are with someone, the deeper the relationships. It's not rocket science, is it? It's like a duh. No kidding. But do we really do it? That's the challenge that comes out. Support, support from the senior staff and the folks around them saying, yes, we want you to go. Be intentional Presence. There is no substitute for your presence in their world. And to recognize you can't do this alone. It takes a team of both to do that. So, what do we look at? First of all, on the time category, more time spent equals deeper relationships. Yep, I get that. Time always makes for depth. The more you give time and show consistency, the deeper the relationship. Uh, I won't read them all. The more time you spend, the more they will reveal their life to you. Showing up is also a, a critical piece of that time. A great level of trust was built by showing up. Showing up consistently gave me credibility. Age doesn't matter. I love this. Age does not matter. What matters is showing up. People need to know that you care before they care what you know, no matter who you are. And if you invest the time in their lives, they will give you their hearts. They will allow you in. It may take more time than others, um, but you will have that opportunity if you invest in that time. Um, Longevity. Again, the longer we stay in a place, the more impact we're going to have. You need to be consistent. Consistency builds trust. And teachers and staff can see that. Consistency is huge. Trust is built through longevity. Um, The more you do it, the easier it gets. Very true. It's hard when you first start out doing this. Uh, And it's threatening. Uh, And you're going to be rejected. That's part of the the, uh, badges maybe that we wear. You're going to get flipped off. Uh, before some of the things. You need to expect that. That's going to happen. But the more that you engage in it, the more they're looking to see, do you really need this? Are you really going to live into this? And will you be there for the long haul? Uh, one person said, if we say relationships are important, then why are we moving from place to place? Hey, the only way you're going to build relationships is be there for the long haul. So we talk about a commitment to place, a theology of place, and the idea of this is I want to invest long term and set some roots into the uh, here's a great uh, quote from one of the students who said, "If I was willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of their comfort, because of my patient presence, they were willing to trust me. Out of that came a lot of fruit. Seeing them for who they really are, seeing them with their friends in their natural habitat, getting the information firsthand, enabled me to better minister to them. For this is what I was able to share the gospel more effectively. I was trusted, which brought credibility to my message. And I like that little bracket." should be a good thing. And recognize my uncomfortableness allows them to be comfortable. Say so We go, we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable so they may be comfortable. Uh, next is support. Um, I've set office hours, but I have a lot of free time to see kids. He says, meaning my supervisor, senior pastor in this case, uh, I'm on your side. I'm in your corner. Great support. Huge to have him on our side. His advocacy made things grow. My supervisor gets relational ministry. And they know that their office hours are beyond the doors of the church. The office hours are with wherever people are. Uh, and then uh, we recognize that uh, we're expected to do contact work. It's not an option. That phrase, these last two, uh, it's part of our ministry DNA. needs to be part of the church's DNA. Those are from our parachutes folks. Folks who are working with Youth for Christ and in line. They get it. They know it's in the DNA. It's not about coming to a building and coming to the program. It's about entering into their lives, and it's in their DNA. So their senior staff are the ones who say, you need to be intentional about going. It's in the things that they're being equipped to do so. Next is presence. You get to know students through proximity, by being in their world. Staying long enough gets you invited into the intimate parts of their lives. When you invest, the return will take time, but it will be worth it. Uh, And so again, by being in their world, the more you are present, the more real you are because they know that you can. Right, and there's no substitute for presence. You have to be there. You have to show up right, and be involved in our lives. The last thing is team. We can't do it ourselves. Uh, that first quote talks about two leaders that just invested in this kid's life. And because they were at every game of this kid, his group of friends invited them to start a Bible study. And would they lead it at that kid's house, because they invested in their lives. Uh, one thing is certain. The more you see it, the more they catch it. Pacing must be modeled. So we, as leaders, need to be the ones who are modeling it for our team. We take them with with us to show them how to do it. Uh, And, again, it's going to take time. It takes investment to do so. So those are the five ingredients. But there's some barriers that exist that we talked about. Uh, As each one in that other segment that recognized the reason why I'm not doing it has to do with my job responsibilities. They're too vast. I have no time, I have no margin in my schedule to be able to go and be with kids, to be with my leaders, to be with my families. So the church, we've got to back that out. We've got to back out time to so be able to allow for those students, to allow for our students, our ministry leaders, to be able to spend time in the adolescent world. Uh, time management was one of the things that really stood out. You know, we talk a lot about it in class around here. You know, how you adjusting with the demands of reading your text, to studying for classes, to writing papers. In the midst of trying to work and to do your job and significant relationships, now is the time to build that time management, learn how to do that well. Well, that continuing needs to, that, that learning needs to continue, even in the context of jobs. Uh, we also recognize that the training volunteers, how do I do this well? Bring them along in the process of what we do, and there's so much more to unpack. And then lastly, recognize that the family schedule is a reality. Uh, one of the things I brought on today, my wife, for some reason, just threw this on the coffee table, and I said, I picked that up. I recognize that. And I opened it up, and it was the journal that I was filling out my last sabbatical. I, I, I received two sabbaticals in my journey. Uh, after being 10 years at Fifth Reformed Church, I was given a sabbatical. Uh, and in that sabbatical, I was reading The Family-Friendly Church and realizing how many things I was missing the mark on because I was too involved in doing ministry stuff and not paying attention to my own family. So I was actually on the flip side of this and needed to back off a little bit because I needed to pay attention to my family and give time to my kids and to my wife that they've as well. And so recognize that those are some of the barriers that we face in terms of addressing this and engaging in deep and significant relations with adolescents. To close with, um, God, I'm doing good, I like it. Timemarks, first outcome, recognize this is, how are we to do, what do we need to do to act uh, first of all, we recognize that in that time, we need to realize we're going to share life together. We're going to be intentional about doing that. And I'm going to build that into my schedule. Yes, sometimes that means playing video games with your high school students or middle school students. That's part of your job. You're getting to know their world. You just don't do it for six hours in one hour. Know? Okay? Do it for an hour or two. That's okay. So again, your time management needs to come into that picture as well. But it's doing life together with folks. Having them into your world. Inviting them over for dinner. Inviting yourself over to dinner at their house. That's okay to do, because you want to get to know the family. You want to be part of the fabric of their lives. Sharing and doing life together. Secondly, that commitment to place. It's about longevity. It's about, we want to be a face that is known in the community. Uh, I've been around now, for the Forest Hills community, even though know, I was there as originally uh, doing that Young Life Club. Uh, I was a coach during those years as well. My wife and I moved to Chicago for a couple years. We came back. And I got involved coaching again. I have 45 plus seasons of coaching in the Forest Hills community. Uh, And so, again, as a known entity in that world, uh, my wife now is a middle school uh, counselor. She is a known entity in our community because of the roles we play. We could still go to games, go to events. And as a coach, I get to still be involved in their lives. Uh, And I count that privilege as part of that longevity. Uh, And again, recognize the support that is necessary through our senior pastors. We need to have folks who are supporting us doing the things that that, that are necessary in order to build deep and long-lasting relationships. And there is no substitute for showing up. Presence matters. And so we need to be involved in people's lives. And lastly, you can't do it alone. You need to build a team. Pacing presence. May that concept be seared in our ideas about how we engage every day in the sake of people's lives, with those who we care, to give that charge that God has called us to go and make disciples, as he calls it. So, thanks for listening.
0: Uh, well, we're, we're privileged. This is something that we're doing new this year at Scholar Day. We're privileged to have uh, panelists with us, guests who are willing to come uh, and contribute and speak into uh, the Kuiper community and uh, speak to these things at hand. And so we're going to have about a half an hour... Uh, of just a good time of discussion, engagement with what Brian has presented, uh, and so if I could ask panelists, uh, if we just go down the row uh, to introduce yourself, uh, tell us uh, who you are, uh, your ministry context and role, and uh, just a little bit about where you're coming from as you hear this. Yeah.
3: Uh, my name is Dan Kriego. My name is Dan Kriego, and I have the privilege of serving as the executive director of West Michigan Youth for Christ. I also served for about 18 years before that, so the last 12 years I've been executive director and 18 years before that as student ministries pastor at Calvary Church just down
2: the road. Hi, my name is Joe Carroll. I am a youth pastor up in Rockford, so not too far from here. I've been doing youth ministry for 11 years now, and that includes uh, junior high and senior high, and uh, kind of fourth and fifth graders on the way up and college kids on the way out or not on the way out. And uh, so just really enjoy doing that and um, really honored to be here. It's not often you need an expert youth pastor panelist. So.
4: Hello. My name is Giovanna Allen. I'm a Kuiper College graduate. Um, I had the pleasure of taking Ryan's um, relational youth ministry class um, some years ago. I'm currently working at Calvin College as an academic counselor. Um, I have... About 15 years, 14 years in youth ministry, um, starting in 2005, working at a parachurch ministry called Camp Taught-Turf or for Church Ministries, and from there I served four years at Oakdale Christian Reformed Church, and three years out in California attending Fuller Theological Seminary.
0: Well, welcome. We're so thankful that you are all here. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, I just have- kind of like to hear your initial thoughts, takeaways, like as you heard Brian's presentation, uh, what stood out to you that, that really you would say amen to, that you see uh, truth in, or, or maybe places where uh, you would spin off a little bit of what he says and, and share a little bit about what you've seen from that in your own life in ministry context.
4: I would say the pacing part, walking with students, building authentic relationships, is very important um, in ministry, because like you said, you cannot begin to tell them and speak into their life until they know that you care and that you are willing to be there. Um, I've had the pleasure of walking with some of my students for 13, 14 years, and they are in their mid-20s. Some of them are married, but we're still doing life together. I'm welcomed at their house. They're welcomed at my house. Um, We also just do impromptu shopping trips together. So it's just wonderful, and able to just form Bible studies or go to church together. So I think that pacing and walking with students is very important. Sometimes it's not easy um, building those relationships, but if you stick with it, uh, just the effects and everything will just be lifelong and just, just great
2: yeah I like how Brian opened up with the story of Mike and his impact in your life. And uh, I just remember growing up going to youth group and uh, my youth pastor, so I was a, a wrestler in high school, and so that was that was like my primary identity. Um, you know, it's kind of shallow, but in the, same, in the same sense. when you're in high school, you kind of try to find that identity and hold on for dear life. and so that's who I was known as um, in high school, and in my family, and by my friends. Um, but at church, you know, I was, I was just another person in the crowd. And uh, my youth pastor had said, hey, I'm gonna come to one of your meets sometime. And he would, he would always ask me about it. And I, I'd tell him the experience, but he hadn't um, seen it, he hadn't been there. And so I was getting kind of bummed out because he hadn't shown up uh, to one of my meets. So he didn't really actually know me, you know? Um, but then one time I looked out and he was in the crowd and that's all it took. I felt um, actually known by him. I felt like he cared enough to show up and I was across town so that really meant a lot to me and that really got a buy-in um, from me with this relationship that he actually cares. So that goes a long ways when, when someone shows up, even if it's just a one event, um, you, it, it's hard to say they don't care when someone shows up. so I think one of
3: the things I really resonated with was um, that we do need the support of like our senior pastors and our churches and all that. Because I I remember when I was at Calvary, um, the first question I would always get asked was, well, how many kids did you have on your retreat or your event or whatever? And it seemed like you were getting judged based on just the numbers. And I tried to change that conversation um, to another question, and that was, how much time am I spending with students? And then I realized that was even the wrong question because it wasn't about me, but it was about me mobilizing an army of leaders uh, to be able to do that. And so the real question, the real measurement that we used in our ministry that I think you're, you're getting at is how much time are leaders spending with kids and going in that pacing presence with them uh, through life and walking through that. And I think that's the question that that we need to ask as youth workers and ministry workers. And um, I'm thankful that I had a, a senior pastor who understood that. And so he didn't require me to be in the office all the time. And we do the same thing at Youth for Christ where we give, we give our, our staff a really small, like tiny little table where that's their, their space where they can work. And if they spend a lot of time there, um, they're probably not going to last long in our organization because we want them outside with their leaders and with kids and going into that scary, there's only one thing scarier than a middle school lunchroom, it's a high school lunchroom. <laughs> and, uh, and we want them in that room and we want them in that place. And I think that's what you're saying and, and that's what I appreciate so much.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to follow up on that question a little bit. and Maybe if you'd be willing to address that first and then uh, Joe, Giovanna, if you have other things to add what does it take that as i'm hearing you talking about that it makes me think not just about youth ministry but just how we do church how we do discipleship that just like we ask you know how many showed up for youth group we ask well, how many people showed up on sunday morning uh, and that's often a measurement of whether there's success or not rather than this kind of discipleship and and pacing presence and so are there things that you saw you, you spoke to your experience that, that helps they can help churches shift their mindset, maybe not only with youth ministry, uh, but, but helping we do discipleship as, as a whole, support of the senior pastors, crucial. What are some other things that go into really developing that army of leaders and volunteers?
3: Yeah, so um, being at a big church, um, you have to be even more intentional about relationships because uh, at a big church, it's just this large gathering and you can, you know, you can do whatever. I remember going on a mission trip to Poland, and I'd taken a small group of leaders, uh, of student leaders, with us. And we went around at the end, and we all got to share what surprised us about each other throughout that week. And there was like, there's a total of twenty of us in the room, so it wasn't a huge group that we could not do that. And I remember this one girl who was really sharp girl in our our ministry, and she said to me, "It was really cool to get to know your off stage personality," and I was just crushed. Like, there was, a, there was a two different sides to me that, you know, but she had only, um, the contacts I'd had was, we had had three 400 kids in our youth group, and so she hadn't really gotten to know me until this trip. And it was that moment on that we just changed how we did things, and we kind of made sure we shrunk things down to the lowest level, those small groups, and those small group leaders was, <clears throat> was really where ministry happens. And in Youth for Christ right now, too, is, how we know our mission is accomplished is with one leader and one kid. That's where our mission is accomplished. It doesn't, it's not accomplished at the executive director level or at some other level, but it's that one. And I think a church has to be really intentional and you gotta find ways to do that. When I was at Calgary, we um, I, I had a great senior pastor that um, was passionate about students. And he also was passionate about backpacking. So every summer, Um, we would take our high school seniors backpacking and kind of pass the baton of leadership for this next year. But we would also invite Ed with us. And it it grew, so we had to do two weeks a a summer. And so Ed, pastor of a a church of almost 7,000 people, he was twice, two weeks out of every summer, he was spending with high school students. And then afterwards, he would come to my house, and hang out with those seniors, which would gather there on Sunday nights, and just answer questions and get to know them, and it's it's relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think at that moment it became their church, and he became their pastor, as opposed to um, you know in a. It's really easy just to not be relational.
2: All right. I guess I will. Uh, I'll share a good story of failure because that's uh, that's always a good idea. Um, <laughs> As, uh, as trying to figure out what being a youth pastor looks like, um, a lot of the pressures you'll have, um, whether they're from your senior pastor or not, it, it's just a pressure you feel is our kids coming, right? Our kids coming, our numbers growing, our, our kids coming to Christ. Those are natural pressures you'll have. And so, um, a couple of years into youth ministry, it was really growing and, and it was feeling good. I was excited about it. Um, I had a brother who was a missionary in Brazil, and he, was, he had heard good things about uh, the youth ministry, and he was coming home, um, and he wanted to come hang with me. And so it was over uh, Christmas time, and he came to um, one of our youth events, and he was going to share. And, um, and my leaders came, and my brother came, and then we waited for the students to come, and we kept waiting, and no students came that night. And it was humiliating and it was mortifying and it it brought me to a place with um, what are we doing here and and what are my values really. And what I learned from that situation over time was that one, whoever does show up, I'm going to invest in. It doesn't matter about the numbers or how many, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on whoever walks in the door, that's who we're going to invest in. And then two, uh, to what Brian was saying, I'm going to go and invest in people. Instead of expecting them to come here and be part of our programming, uh, doing what we're doing, which um, is, is what the church feels like a lot of the times we're trying to pull people in, is uh, I'm going to be a lot more proactive on going, uh, being where they are, and um, just learning who they are. And so that was uh, one good lesson I learned through a very um, tough situation.
4: Um, As a leader, I think it's very important to model what you expect and set the example and set the tone. Um, One of my greatest pleasures while um, studying at Fuller, I um, interned at a church out there, and the pastor as well as the youth pastor modeled intentional relationships, um, building with leaders, volunteers, staff, and students. And that trickle, it had a trickle-down effect. Everyone. And as soon as, one of the greatest things I saw was as soon as the seniors were moving into their college years, they wanted to stay around and be involved and work with the middle schoolers. And so we found a way to get them involved and to build those relationships. And we will also spend, um, as youth workers, spend a lot of time doing small group and life together.
0: Good, thank you, that's good stuff. Uh, well, let's, let's take a couple questions from Slido. Uh, we got top one. Uh, Brian, we'll give this one to you first. Uh, how has social media shaped the, quote unquote, place of where ministry leaders are present, or need to be present?
1: Yeah, I, I am a strong, advocate I Yeah. Um, I'm a strong advocate for using the tools that we have to connect with kids. Uh, social media for the adolescent world has just exploded. Uh, and uh, as leaders in the youth ministry, there are some industries that it's probably not appropriate for you to be Facebook friends with the students that you work with. Teachers, uh, counselor, or whatnot, you probably shouldn't be um, 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 Facebook friends. But as, as youth leaders, that's a world that we get to know kids. And again, I'm, 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 there are boundaries of things that I appreciate that they're new to be there. Uh, but as we have interactions, that's sometimes the most raw kids are in terms of sharing the things that they're going through. They should be opportunities for us saying, hey, I saw this post whatnot, uh, tell me more about this. And sometimes it's right over uh, in the internet, or it's like a face-to-face conversation you have with them after you saw it the night before and you're connected with them. Um, so I'm a fan of using it uh, for the sake of helping to know kids, uh, to hear what's going on, but then to delve in that in deeper level as much as you can in a face-to-face uh, environment. Because uh, oftentimes it's a cry for help. In a lot of ways, of what they're sharing, and it's not always that case. And sometimes it's just goofy things that they do, and I say, "Hey, do you realize what you're doing the kind of things that you're saying?" that that may not be what you want to communicate. Uh, so again, you can use some um, some uh, uh, discernment, thank you, over over what that uh, how that posts and how that kind of happens. But I, I think it's a tool we can use.
4: I live in a strange world of in-between, because I grew up when internet was just kicking off, to now (laughs) it's just the number one place where people interact with each other. So it took me a while to get used to it, but I found that it is the number one point of contact for a lot of students. I might text them, I might call them, they might not answer, but if I send them an instant message on Facebook or Instagram, they will answer right back. I have even been able to, at first I was afraid to utilize it at Calvin College, working with students, <laughs> Calvin University, working with students. <laughs> but um, after, because I would email students, and they'll be like, I'm not checking my messages, or I got a lot of messages, and I'm not seeing it. And so I heard one of the, I was telling, I knew a student from a previous um, environment, and he, I reached out to him by email, And he didn't respond back. Then I get a message on Facebook from him. And I was like, this seems kind of weird, but I'll go with it. And it was like, well, another faculty member uses it as a tool to reach out to students. And so social media, use it, like Brian said, use it with discernment. One of the things I do is I don't request students as friends, but if they request me, then I will accept it.
2: Yeah, this is a good question. I think for, for me personally, uh, social media, I use primarily as um, communication first. That's, that's what I see. Um, I have Instagram as well for, for getting things out for youth, which is good. Um, one thing you run into definitely is when you're friends with a lot of students, you, you see a lot of pictures that you're like, All right, that's, that's the reality of where they're at. Um, and so you can't really pretend Um, that that isn't their reality because you see what their reality is. So, and I think that's an important place when starting with students is, uh, when growing a relationship, when growing spiritually, um, sometimes we want to pretend that everything's well and that um, they're not going through these issues, uh, but I think social media really exposes that. There's a lot more things uh, students are going through that, um, that do need to be dealt with, so let's start there rather than pretending they don't exist. Um, and then finally, the, the place, I don't know exactly um, what's meant by that, but I do know there's all kinds of pressures because uh, social media is so instant. Um, a student could be planning on going to an event for a week, um, but then they see a post that their friend is doing something else. And so there's just so many opportunities to do so many different things at the same moment, um, they're, they're being asked to choose uh, quite a bit and, and, and maybe it comes down to what place do I go to that I'll get the best picture to show my friends, you know. Um, so, so there are very interesting dynamics that are being um, brought up through social media that we're um, not always qualified to deal with but, but learning as we go.
3: I think one of the things that social media does for youth ministry is that it, it uh, highlights the need for the relationship because kids are spending so much time talking to a screen, even though they're talking to their friends on the screen. I see my, my daughters doing that all the time, but they crave that personal you know, relationship with somebody that's live in person too. And so we can contrast ourselves to the world in that way um, with the relationship because the world is so technological That when a relationship comes along it just stands out and so I think that's a tool that we can we can leverage and seize upon because it'll it'll help us uh, you know enter into that kids world
0: good that's helpful Uh, let's let's look at the next the next question Uh, this is a question all right from somebody who's not anonymous Jesse thanks Uh, what is an effective way what is an effective way to turn a church's culture toward Relational ministry. We we maybe touched on this a little bit, but you know when you think about how much uh, of a difference that is, maybe from a lot of approaches that, that churches currently take. What are what are some ways uh, to shift that? And and maybe Brian mentioned some of these, but what do you see as obstacles to to making that shift? Yeah, I'll things.
1: start with that. Uh, when I first came to uh, Fifth Reformed Church, I, I remember somebody saying, Whoa, things are going to change around here. And I took that as a compliment. Because uh, I felt like one of the things we have to start with is an apologetic. Why we're doing the things we're doing. Why is this theologically so purposeful about what we do? And that's training folks to come on board uh, with that philosophy. And then you have to model it. You have to live it, and you have to equip your team to do so. Uh, And it will take time. It's not going to change overnight. Just as I went on my first sabbatical thinking I needed to change everything into a family-focused ministry, you can't do it overnight. You have to do it a little bit of step, step step-by-step, to make that happen. Uh, But again, I think it starts with apologetic. It starts with uh, you modeling uh, and then equipping and training folks to do it and everybody uh, kind of joining into that. It may mean then pulling back on some of the programs. Because one of my quotes, I don't know if we, we didn't get to it, whether you read it or not, but... Uh, some of the leaders have said, "Sometimes we cancel our program events so we can go to kids' events, so we can go be face to face. So we're not going to do program that week because we're going to. Our leaders are going to be engaged with kids in their lives. To me, that's a radical shift, a paradigm shift in the things what's important. What's important is being with kids and building those relationships. It's not always the program."
3: Yeah, I think Brian is so right. Of like, you got to teach that way. You know, you have to teach them theologically that this is the right way relational ministry. But then you also have to celebrate it um, because the problem in, in churches is that you see the big events. And so those are, have natural celebrations because you see all the people there and you see some of the responses. But you don't always see the one-on-one relationship. And so we worked really hard to any time I got a chance to be in front of the board or up in front of church, we had a kid share a story with their leader standing right next to them and modeling that and showing them that because that was the best way for them to understand that this is about not just this kid but it's about this leader and this kid and their relationship and so
2: showing them that I think is is a really important thing. Yeah I would just add that um, I think Brian wrote uh, talking about beliefs and behavior and that our behavior exposes or reveals what we do believe and um, so it, it has to be a value that you believe um, uh, time spent with these students is important, and then that the the behavior will follow that belief. And I I like the quote or motto, believe, behave, become. So what you believe um, will become your behavior, and your behavior over time is what you become. So if you're trying to produce a culture or have this kind of culture, you start with the belief. Do you truly believe it? Is it a value? Is it what you operate out of that will produce the behavior and the, the culture, or who you become and who uh, the ripple effects around you, of who um, uh, the students around you, they will become like that as well?
4: I'm going to lean more towards the obstacle of building a cultural, a relational cultural ministry, or shifting the culture in the church. Sometimes the leadership in the church will be a big hindrance. So um, as one who's changed positions a couple of times, it's good to be aware of the mission and the values of the ministry that you're coming alongside with and asking them questions such as when such an instance of change has occurred, how did that affect the ministry, how did ministry leaders go along with it is very important.
0: Good. We have time for about one more question, so let's... Uh, we'll take the one at the top. Uh, what do you think is a better metric for health and student ministry than attendance? So how, so how, how, do, you, how do you measure this kind of pacing presence? You, you see the difference. What are the things that you're really looking for? Maybe, Brian, if you'd take that first and then we'll.
4: Yeah, the
1: first, the first thing that stands out to me is thinking uh, of the students that I worked with, that we had folks that didn't come to youth groups. Uh, and uh, just because they didn't come to youth group, I didn't think that they were not part of our ministry because I had a relationship. And now, uh, granted, I had to tell the story of those kind of things to, to the staff and to even and, and the parents knew well uh, that I had a relationship uh, with these folks, even though they didn't come to youth group for whatever reason, uh, myriad of other reasons why, why that might be the case. And so again, spouting back to the idea of how valuable that consistency uh, and the relational time that we spend with folks. So a big part of that is looking at well, how do I um, portion out my week? And, and where is that time going? And then communicating that to folks that they clearly get that the, where we're spending our time throughout our days, because oftentimes we get that question in the youth ministry, what do you do all day? Yeah, you, know, you run an event on a Sunday night, maybe a Wednesday, well, what, what's the rest of your week look like? Well, you can clearly tell them here's my week, here's who I spent breakfast with, here's who I had lunch with, here's what schools I've been to, here's the games and events I'm going to. Go to. That changes the culture uh, for people to understand what's invaluable, what's important. So to begin to measure things based on time spent with people and the depth of those relationships. Because, again, we think because 200 kids show up to a youth group that, oh, man, that's that's fantastic. Well, why? Why is that fantastic? What's going on there that makes that fantastic? Uh, let's, Let's identify some of the ingredients that help the folks to understand what it is we're trying to do when we're gathering that kind of group of people. And then what are the relational connections that happen as a result of those kinds of things? My initial reaction.
4: I would say um, observation, building relationships outside of ministry, um, watching the change in students and the development, the maturity of them, who they're hanging with, what they're talking about on social media um, is very important. It's a great
2: measure. Uh, I would say my pastor is asking the same question over the last eleven years: How am I supposed to measure you, right? Um, one thing I've seen over the years that I, that that I can say is incredibly important is when you do build that relationship, uh, when you do have that relationship, there's about um, in seven years, from junior high to senior high, there's about one or two really significant moments um, that will happen in that student's life where, you know, maybe it's someone dies, maybe it's their parents getting divorced, uh, maybe it's a, a classmate going through something um, very serious. Um, but there's, there's real-life moments and real pain um, where they're in trouble and they're hurting and they just need somebody. And when you show up in those moments, um, I've seen that's kind of where the most profound uh, change can happen. Not that you're going there with answers, but what you are doing is you're there with them um, in one of the times they're hurting most in their life. And I think that produces the most growth in someone, knowing that uh, you love them enough and you love them because you, you know what it is to be loved uh, by God. And you get to be there with them in those moments. Um, over time, that plays huge dividends in a relationship. And so I don't know how you can say that's an exact measurement, but I, I can say um, that's profoundly important in someone's life. Good
3: So at Youth for Christ, we measure a thing called authentic Christ-sharing relationships. And it is basically one leader and one kid that they're walking through and having spiritual conversations, having, doing life with them, uh, walking through all the different challenges that they, they face. And you know, to say that numbers are not important is not totally true either. Um, and so I'd hate for you to walk away from this saying, thinking that, well, it's just about going to a couple of games here and there and, and having a few relationships. But we do have a stewardship to be able to continue to increase the numbers of kids that we're serving. And we're pouring into we just don't need to measure that top of the funnel number is where i think we've spent way too much time on and that is how many kids are coming we have thousands of kids that come to our programs at youth for christ but the number that i look at as success is how many of those kids do we know by name and then the next one is how many of those kids are in an authentic christ-sharing relationship with a godly caring adult and uh, i just sat in a meeting last week uh, nationally And I saw this bell curve of uh, statistics in Youth for Christ and the top performing ministry sites. So um, a school like Northview or whatever is in that top performing ministry site in the United States with Youth for Christ. And the difference between the top 25% and the bottom 25% is astounding. I mean, it's huge. And, And the difference as you look into the numbers is it's not just the numbers. I mean, the cool thing is the numbers of kids that are in authentic Christ-sharing relationships, but you look at why, why are those kids in authentic? And most of it is because of the number of leaders and how many hours they spend with kids. And that's what it comes down to. And that's how we're trying to measure success in Youth for Christ um, and in Young Life does the same thing. I you know. Um, that's what the true measurement is. That's why we don't want them in the office.
0: Well Brian, panelists, uh, we want to thank you so much for your time, for your expertise, for your willingness to share with us today. Uh, Will you join me in thanking our panelists?